Okay, we are back with Behind the DM Screen. It is whatever month this is. October, I should know that. It's my birthday month. Yay! Yay! Uh, in fact, my birthday was just... What does it say? The 5th? Happy birthday so to yesterday, you. So yesterday was Happy my birthday. birthday yesterday was your birthday? Yeah, Happy well, birthday. Happy birthday to Jeff. <laughs> this is Behind the DM Screen. We are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. Uh, and that's all the intro you get. First up is Mike. Mike, Hello. tell us about your game. So I have two games going on. Both are Storm King's Thunder. Both are closing in on the end. Um, one of them has kind of gotten through whatever giant lords they're going to deal with. The most recent part of it is they went to the um, Duke Zalto and the Fire Giants. They killed Duke Zalto by dropping the Vonendad, this huge adamantine golem, on him. And that was pretty epic. <laughs> they, awesome. You know, there was this... Yeah, whole great setup where they like he's sitting there playing with his big hellhounds, throwing this iron ball around with the dead dwarves inside of it, and um, they like snuck up above the, the the gantry above him and waited till the right moment to drop part of it on his dogs and part of it on him, and then went down and beat him and killed him. And then his wife shows up with like a ton of fire giants, and she goes over to him and cradles the body of her dead husband and says, you know, what have you done? You know, you you, you fool, you shouldn't have listened to her. Blah blah blah. They, they discover that he has sort of been charmed by Imrith, right? Oh, okay. And the whole reason he was building the Vonandad is because Imrith said, you know what you ought to do is build a Vonandad. So, and, and his wife knew that he was kind of spellbound by this idea that he would be the new head of the Giants. So everybody felt bad for him. And she's, so she kind of told the party, if you kill Imrith within, you know, three, ten days, I won't send every fire giant in this place to come kill you. Right. Like, I'll let you go, even though you just killed my husband. I will let you go if you're if you're going to go out there and kill her. Right. Because she's the real like, villain. She's a real villain. And he said they're like, yeah, sure. And then uh, my wife's character, uh, a, a uh, dragonborn cleric named Ryu, said, well, I can resurrect him. And so they resurrected the giant they had oh, just geez. killed. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, wow, I'm such an idiot. You know, I never should have done this. And they got real. Oh, the, the, so the fun bit was they found out that he had a ring. That was a ring of lightning resistance, but every one of these like little magical items that people have are ways for Imrith to be able to connect to somebody mm. and scry on them and charm them. They were, like, they were like gifts from Imrith, and so yeah, right, or things that they found that Imrith had planted, right? Right. And so they, so they, the party has now run into a few of these things, and they're like, well, we got to destroy this ring, and somebody says, why don't we just throw it like in the in the the outhouse of the fire giants? So every time she scries on them, you know, she's staring up a fire giant's ass. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, so that that seemed like a really good idea, and they did that. And they're all like, she's sitting there in her golden throne, and every time she's trying to scry on fire giants. That's a wonderful cut scene. Yeah, yeah. so that was right. And she's like, oh, God. So, um, <laughs> so they did that. Now, they, then, now they've been doing some stuff in Skullport. They have agents in Skullport. They went back to Skullport and found out that there's a laboratory, a magical laboratory where Imrith has been building adamantine um, golems that she can transfer her essence into uh, and do terrible things. And they're going to destroy the last one of these that she had built. And she transfers into it, and they fight her and destroy the thing that's controlling the golem. Get rid of that. They found a treasure vault, one of her treasure vaults that was hidden underneath Skullport. And inside was not only a bunch of treasure, including a luck blade with one wish on it, mm. uh, but also a demi-lich. <laughs> so, 
Demi-Lich breaks free. Like, ah, oh, Demi-Liches. And I totally screwed up the Demi-Lich by, by not having, not using its, all of its resistances. You know, like, it's resistant to non It's resistant to magical weapons and doesn't take damage from area effect spells. And I forgot that. So they beat it quickly, but it, like, nearly killed the whole party. Mm-hmm. It was still tough, but I kind of wanted, I kind of wish I had run it full bore just to see what it's like. Um, and there's a reason why she she has been trained. They found out last night that Imrit's magic came from a lich. Like she learned all of what she knows from liches, at least one lich. Are you, are, that, you are you trying to tie things in for the the next storyline? That's what they all they thought. Is that lich Sarak? Mm-hmm. I don't even know who that is, but I'm just the name just came into my head, and so I don't know if I'm going to do that or not. I haven't decided yet, but you know maybe. Well, I and, think, and it could just be just be you know planting seeds or whatever it, could, it may yeah, not be right. a direct connection but just the, thematically yeah. tied in, in imrit probably not because in imrith's i was thinking about doing that but since it's so obvious now it's kind of lame um but in imrith's background story that ed greenwood wrote a million years ago mm. um it's got the fact that there is a netherese lich that she met in the nameless city who taught her a lot of her magic so that gives me another opportunity to throw a lich at him which i always love doing and um <laughs> They got this magic tower, so they're you know pretty soon they're going to hit fourteenth or fifteenth level, and they're going to head to the nameless city to fight Imrith. And so did there'll you be skip a lot the whole of storm giant piece. No, so they're so what they did now is they had the they had the horn and they knew or the conch the conch they the conch yeah, right the conch they, they they had the conch and they knew they could blow that and go to the maelstrom and they don't know what they would face there they don't really know anything about what's down there and I've, I thought they were going to do it so I read the whole chapter on that and figured out like hmm I wonder what's going to happen and the cool bit is if they go there Imrith is there right, right? <laughs> like she's hanging out so they don't know that yet I hope my wife's not listening and um. <laughs> So, uh, but instead, they also know that there's this huge storm that surrounded the purple, the purple rocks, and they've had all kinds of, you know, visions, and, you know, throughout, God, for a long time now, they've had all these visions that something is really wrong in the purple rocks, and they're pretty sure that Hecaton is there, and they're correct, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, they took their, um, they have a flying ship that the Cult of the Dragon gave them. Yep. Uh, that's piloted by Cult of the Dragon members who work for Clouth. And they flew there, but the storm is so bad that they dropped a um, apparatus of Qualish, mm-hmm. the submarine. So they have an apparatus. This is pretty great. They had an apparatus of Qualish that only could support two people, but they used rope tricks so a bunch of them could hang out in like a pocket dimension inside the apparatus. <laughs> <laughs> and they said like, so five of the characters are sitting like on these big pillows drinking wine, wondering if they're all going to die. <laughs> while two characters frantically fighting this huge tentacled monster with these tiny little snippers on the front of the... <laughs> <laughs> and and, and the, all the players see everything, but the, the the four that were not involved are like, so, what do you think's happening out there? Like, every so often they peek through the rope trick, they go, oh my god. And so finally they cast Heat Metal, which burned one of the characters real badly, but also burned the tentacle that was holding them. The tentacle, of course, being Slarkothal, one of Slarkothal's tentacles. Sure. And it threw them away, and now they made their way to the Purple Rocks, which I'm treating very much like the... What's the H.P. Lovecraft story about the the, 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 the mer people? There's an H.P. Lovecraft story about a town that's like looks like normal people, but it turns out they all worship uh, they're all Dagon. Deep, they're all, what, deep ones or whatever? Yeah, so I think Purple Rocks is kind of like that. So they go to the Purple Rocks. They found an altar that's too small to, for, for normal-sized people, saw a bunch of baby skulls at the bottom, realized that people on Purple Rocks are sacrificing babies, and then in the middle of the night during a huge storm, they go there and they see you know a bunch of cultists, including one that's holding a baby up over the altar, and that's where I ended the game. Um, so you ended the game or the session? Ended that session. Okay. <laughs> I was just saying, you get in on it, that kind of a cliffhanger? Jeez. 
Um, uh, yeah, that's where I ended the session. Okay. So one other interesting fun bit was um, that Clouth offered to uh, have them join the Cult of the Dragon sure. on his for him and is one this, of the characters. Is this the Harper group or the Zent group? They're Harpers. Okay, but not all. They're they're they're, they're now mostly loose Harpers. Okay. So, of them were Lords Alliance. They didn't want to be Harpers, and then one that was a Harper left the Harpers because uh, she didn't like what uh, uh, Leos and Erlenthar was doing. He, he said, like, basically, his secret shit that he's been doing led to the deaths of dozens of barbarian tribes uh-huh. because the Stone Giants had been storming over them and no one knew, and he probably knew, but he didn't send people to find out. In time. Right. So she's real mad at him, and so but she didn't. But the 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 Dark Elf on our party, the Drow, uh, whose name is Rild, he's like, yeah, because I'll get access to Klaus like magical stuff. So sure, I'll join, you know. And so they took a drop of his blood, and Klaus tasted it. So now Klaus has him trapped, and and then he's like, I don't care, you know, I'm good. <laughs> so he's now a red member of the red the red cult of the dragon. Um, so that's great fun. And then the the party also got to choose whether or not three members of the blue cult of the dragon that were trying to convert over whether or not they should be allowed to convert over to the red, or whether they should be executed. And one was executed, and two of them. Or transferred over. So lots of kind of, you know, Klauth is kind of for fun saying, hey, these outsiders, let's let them decide, you know. And the reality is I just want the players to have lots of decisions sure. and choices and what happens. But but it's kind of fun that Klauth is sort of the jokester. He doesn't even really take the cult that seriously. Right. Uh, but, you know, but the cult takes it deadly seriously. You know, they're they're all about it. Well, so. and, and, and I guess historically that's accurate. Like, yeah. even to the dragons that worked with the cult oftentimes the cult was just a means to an end they didn't really care about the goals of the cult yeah and, and vice versa right like the cult really just wants to turn your dragons into dracoliches well the old so, cult did anyway yeah well I, in my in my version they went back to that yeah right? like, <laughs> well the team thing didn't work out let's go back to the undead thing worked back and the traditionalists took back over and said hey we're not you know we're really not all that bad and our goal isn't world domination we just love dragons and we want them to be preserved forever uh, so one question I have two questions for you guys one is on the next part but I'll, I can ask this question which is what what cool I don't really have anything on the purple rock you know I have I have ideas that they're like a isolated fishing village it's mostly men I don't know what they're doing with the women I also don't want to be creepy um, and you know creepier than the fact that they sacrifice their male children to Slarkothal um and uh, but I, and I want to kind of tap into this Lovecraftian deep ones. Half of them are fish people. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they very old. There's these ancient monuments to Slarkwithal that are way older than any tattoos or any people that they've seen that are on this island. What are some other kind of neat places what, or interesting well, situations? This, this, like, is, this is they, they, what they had to go through the storm to get to, right? Yeah, they're now and and somewhere on the island, Hecaton is imprisoned. Okay. And I've got an idea. But, you know, it's literally a, a tiny little idea in my head. And I'm kind of seeking, like, how, you know, it felt like I didn't know they were going to the island yesterday. So I had to, like, wing a lot of it. Okay. And now it's like, okay, they're on the island. So now I can make it, like, rich and, and rich and detailed and, and full. How long has the storm been there? Uh, Probably about six months. So at this point, like, Here? The, this small fishing village is starving. Well, no, because they, they fish. Oh, so sorry. So the storm is actually a donut, and they're in the eye, and they've been in the eye for a long time. So storm, the storm kind of hits them and washes them a bit, but during the day, it's pretty normal. It's just overcast and rainy. Okay. And they, and they fish to get their food, but they've also been isolated. But they've been isolated for, for a good six months or so. Well, no, they've been isolated probably for centuries. Oh, okay. Right? Like, hardly anybody goes out there. Sure. 
I mean, it was isolated by the nature of, of what it is and where they are. Yeah. Now, now it's are. physically isolated uh, beyond right. just being an right. island because of well, the storm. mostly because this thing that they worship has awoken, right? Like, right. They, they've been worshipping Sarkothal for 2,000, 5,000 years. Okay. But Slarkothal's been asleep, right? And one of the tridbicks is that Imerith found Slarkothal's uh, essence in, the, sh- in, in the, like, the Far Realm and woke him up in the Far Realm, and that brought him to our world. That brought him to the prime world. That's okay. the whole. And Imrith is just doing that to, to screw yeah, with the giants. Yeah, to fuck with people. I'm sorry. Yeah, to screw with people. Uh-huh. Right. Like, her whole thing is, like, she's pissed that Tiamat died. She's kind of pissed that she wasn't there for it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's mostly guilt on her part, but also kind of fury at the small folk. And she's just like, I'm going to orchestrate as much chaos as I can. And this is a good one. <laughs> like, having a giant psychic kraken off the coast right. of Waterdeep. That's a good one. You know? who, who is guarding the the... King of the Storm Giants. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I know that's in the book, and I know that she probably brought Hecaton to the island or had one of her agents do it. I don't know that Slarkothal. So Slarkothal is probably connected to the giant. I know that. I have this image that the giant has this like octopus creature attached to him that is now controlling him, and they're going to have to break free from that. And then you know, so there is a connection to Slarkothal. But you know, Slarkothal doesn't think like anything we would know right? Like right. his motivations are not you know well beyond what we can think of yeah and i don't imagine like slarkathal is is a foe to be fought it's an adver- Maybe not. it's an adversary Although, to deal with but yeah, they're, they're you know they're they're tough i mean they've got vorpal swords they've got you know hammers of thunderbolts they've got they're armed to the teeth and they're all high level and the characters the players are all really skilled so it would not surprise me if they fought you know, they fought. Uh, no, but if you're tre- if you're treating it like a, a great old one, then then it's not even a, a foe that I would present as as one to fight. Yeah, maybe not. You know? uh, maybe maybe when when they kicking their ass a little bit. Yeah, the moment they think they're going into the big fight with the thing, they discover that you know it's moved on to something else because, like you mentioned, you, they have no way of comprehending its motivations or or what's going on. So. Yeah, I'm just looking up Slarkothal's stats. I know he's got actual stats. Sure, Pound. you don't need to use them. I can't spell right Yeah, now. right, I'll just take a Kraken and double everything. <laughs> or, or you know, yeah, just make it something unapproachable. Right. Um, so what other kind of th- interesting things can I do on the island? Things for them to explore and, and, and kind of witness and get involved in. you have any thoughts? I'm gonna let Sam talk because I've been asking lots of questions. Sam, do you have any thoughts? You know, thinking from that idea of Lovecraft. Yeah, and Sam probably knows Lovecraft better than I do. I mean, uh, the idea is that they need to learn that it's a kind of a odd landscape, right? It's it's kind of a weird place, so they need to be like uh, seeing lights in the, you know, in the distance, and when they get close the lights approach them and then they disappear right and yet there's there's nothing there uh they need to see things like um like uh things that seem kind of non sequitur right like it'd be like uh like if you're walking along and you run across a humongous like anthill or something but then like uh i don't know grasshoppers crawl out of it or something but the grasshoppers are like uh you know they're iridescent, so they glow all these different colors, and they, they, you know, and they they sing, but it sounds almost like you know a siren's call, or it sounds like a harpy music, but it doesn't charm you. It's just weird, 
mm-hmm. and you it's almost like it's not even you can't even really interact with it it's just it's there and it's this odd thing but it's almost in a different dimension but somehow you're perceiving it mm-hmm. that's the environment you want to give them mm-hmm. um and the only i mean so the the problem with that is that the way to give them something that they can't really interact with is uh do little vignettes but vignettes you know there's a limit to what you can do with those because you want it to be less of you telling them what they experience and then and more of them just experiencing it Mm -hmm. right right um so like you can start but so so the the key to this all right because i i've and this is a trick that i use in the underdark too like when they're in a really weird environment that is supposed to be foreign to them Mm -hmm. um you can ramp up the weird things that are happening. Like at first, they shouldn't really notice anything all that strange. I mean, right now, they have figured out that these people are sacrificing their babies. So right. that that already, they're on a completely different, like, they know there's some bad stuff going on. Yeah, like they, they did meet with the town. They did have dinner with a guy. They knew weird stuff. But they were all like, this place is weird. Right. And, and they right. found the altar before they even saw any of the people. Right. So, like... What you need to do is, like, just slowly ramp up their experiences. You know, do things like, you know, when they camp, nothing happens, you know, when they camp. Like, there was no random encounter. There's nothing but, but, you know, tell a couple of them, you know, you wake up and you feel like you had, you dreamt of some place that you've never been, but yet you felt like it was familiar to you. Like, you you know, stuff like that where... Mm -hmm. You, it's it's more about the feeling and the environment and less about like planning that they do something or planning that there's some kind of encounter mm-hmm. because it sounds like they're at a point where it's a little bit sandboxy where they kind of you you, you were surprised that they actually went over to this island so you kind of had to wing it for a little bit and now you can plan like but just plan these really like small things that they get to see or experience or you know, or they get to hear about, or you know, um, you know, they can be talking to an NPC, and that person just sort of phases out, like almost like a displacer beast, and right. then he's two feet over, right. you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Because if uh, if the great old one is sort of, you know, they've got kind of a um, attention deficit disorder in a way right like they are sort of oh i want to explore the the you know the psyche on this island of these mortals um and i'm gonna play with them and see what happens uh and then i'm done with them for right now and so i'm going completely away and 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 i don't actually do anything so because i don't continue messing with that particular person they don't there's never anything else weird that the players will see about that person but that one time they displaced out and then they came right back. And mm. the person didn't even seem to notice. But everybody mm. in the party notices. Mm-hmm. Right? Things like that. That's what I suggest. If you really want, like, the Lovecraftian kind of weird... I mean, it's already at the horror level because they've discovered that they're sacrificing children. So you don't need to add any more horror. You can just add a bunch of weird stuff. But do it in very, like, non-threatening ways. And right. that will actually freak them out even more because they're expecting, oh, we're going to see all these threats and we're going to have to fight these weird, you know, whatever. But they're just going to experience a bunch of weird crap. Mm, right. 
Right. Yeah, and, and I was going to say, I think I have two two things, uh, two suggestions to make. Um, one of which is, if you haven't been, go back and listen to some of the Lovecraft episodes of Appendix N uh, with Jeffrey Wynn and Jeff Wickstrom, uh, mm-hmm. because they've, they're going through, uh, or they have gone through the plots of several Lovecraftian stories that help... Uh, Help get, give me a stronger idea of like what kind of weird stuff would I see in a Lovecraftian story, right? Right. Um, you know, things like sentient colors that live in caves, that kind of stuff. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, if it were me, because one of the iconic things, and maybe it's because of the Call of Cthulhu game, right? But to me, one of the iconic things about a, a Lovecraftian style story is that eventually you're slowly going to go crazy. And so steal, right. stealing some some of the madness um, concepts from like Out of the Abyss uh, yeah. and applying those at a climax, you know, or as over time, you know, maybe it starts as one of the, the more minor, um, you know, uh, madnesses or whatever, and it slowly ramps up the longer they're there and the more that they witness or whatever, I think is a right. way of, of mechanically sort of um, playing into that weirdness and that Lovecraftian stuff. Right. Yeah, and and you know the thing about that is like the reason I say start slow is because the thing that makes the thing that makes them go crazy is you're going to kind of gaslight them a little bit, you know, like like they're the yeah. only ones that are going to see the guy do act like a displacer beast for a minute or be displaced. And if they look around, even if there's another like NPC there to, who would have seen it, they don't they don't really they didn't see anything. Mm-hmm. Right. But right. all the PCs did. So you're, you're kind of, you know, it's the fact that they realize that something is wrong. But at some point, if no one else is acting like anything is wrong, they have to start looking inward and saying, is it right. me? What's going on with us? The one that's crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. What happened to us? Did we, you know, are we still back in that freaking, you know, pocket dimension rope trick? Yeah, right. Know, right? Right? Yeah. right. You know what I'm saying? Because right. some this has been weird ever since we and then yeah. So that kind of idea. Right. Yeah, that's really cool. Cool. Yeah. You good to go then? When when's sure. your when's your next game? Next Wednesday. All right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right then. Uh, we will call Mike's time up because as always we went a little bit over. Um. Yeah. Before we move on to Sam, I want to remind people that if you want to support the show, you can go over to patreon.com slash Show. We have many great patrons over there. In fact, we recently hit the halfway point where if we uh, get enough patrons, I will forego all sponsors and you won't have to listen to the ads and stuff anymore. So head over to patreon.com slash Show and uh, support us with whatever you think is reasonable. Sam. Yes, sir. You're up. All right. Well, let's see. Where did I leave off? I think I left off where um, the party had just gotten into this. They escaped from the the River Watch, whatever that fortress was. Mm-hmm. So I, because I, I I doctored it, of course, but I I pulled it right from the Princes of the Apocalypse. It's that particular. Uh, it's the, it's the lower level sort of fortress area that was in the Water Cult. Okay. And, the water temple um, sort of area. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, and so, anyway, they get out of there. I mean, I completely doctored. It was a totally different place and everything. So they get out of there and they travel in this boat in into this underground place because they they realized or they thought they realized that they couldn't go in any other direction. So they end up going deep into this mountain on this underground river and they they find this underground lake and they see these scales floating in the underground lake. 
and these scales are really big, but they they don't realize what it is, so they think it's like like enemies like hiding and holding a shield up above them, but actually it's dragon scales. Hmm. So they've reached this island in the middle, and they realize, oh, these are dragon scales. So they, they gather a bunch of these dragon scales, and the dragon scales are bronze. So, of course, they completely metagame and decide, oh, well, bronze dragon is not evil, so probably we're okay, we can rest and do whatever. So they're sort of hanging out, and they, they see these big, like, sort of pillars on this island in this weird pattern, and it has these weird markings on it, and there's these piles of treasure at at the base of each one. And while they're there trying to decide uh, how they can stop the the thief from starting to steal all this treasure that they think is belo- you know belongs to a dragon, um, a squirrel shows up and befriends the druid and starts talking to them and 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 tells them, you know, all sorts of things and and asks them questions and they the druid just tells this squirrel like all sorts of stuff so completely totally implausible but hey whatever you know that's fine uh and and sam what 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 does your squirrel voice sound like i i don't have a squirrel oh darn (laughs) oh i don't have i i i i i but i give it like a um sort of like a childlike speech cadence okay so it it kind of it sounds like uh like like a young sort of child, okay. okay? Which of course in totally endeared the druid to the to the squirrel because mm-hmm. it looks like a small furry creature and it speaks like a young you know like a young furry you know like a young person. Anyway, so um, the druid tells this squirrel all kinds of stuff, but the other two characters were. Um, they because because they decided to rest, so the other two characters were actually asleep when the squirrel showed up and started talking to the druid. And so the other two players are like, "Oh my god, this is a dragon in disguise, and she's telling this dragon everything." I can't believe, you know, like, "Oh, they're and they're freaking out." And uh, anyway, so she tells the the squirrel all, all everything basically about their entire journey and everything they've done so far, and. The and then they and you know and then so the other characters wake up and so they decide to invite the squirrel with them, if because he the squirrel tells them oh I you know yeah you can get out you can get out of here this isn't a trap like you're there is a way out you're yeah you're under a mountain but it, you, there's a way out, and so they ask the squirrel to go with them, and so the squirrel starts like going and taking all the treasure and like takes all the rings and put the rings in his ears you know like almost like uh, like earrings and so he takes a bunch of stuff and so then the thief says all right well I'm gonna take some stuff too so they clear out the island of all the treasure. And then they get back in the boat and they go and they end up journeying for something like four days. And, and and then they get to a waterfall and they have to figure out how to uh, not go down this waterfall and kill themselves. So they get out of that. But at the base of the waterfall is a sort of little lagoon area. And through this journey a couple of them have become exhausted so they're extremely fatigued they're taking you know disadvantage on their you know skill checks and whatnot and they discover that the bottom of the lagoon is just rife with coins and treasure so they start trying to devise a way to get pull all this treasure out of this underground lagoon which also is layered with this 
uh, iridescent fungus or this uh, phosphorescent fungus. So they have light now, which they were in darkness for four days. Hmm. And they this treasure, they start trying to take the treasure out, and a sea hag comes, and uh, they have disturbed her lair. Um, a battle ensues. They get rid of her, but they don't kill her. She actually gets away and uh, and 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 escapes so that they can't actually completely destroy her. Um, and of course, then she, you know, you know, basically swears vengeance on them sure. or whatever. And um, come back and as, they, a, as an Anis Hag or a Night Hag later or something. So then they um, they discover there is this captured Aarakocra there, and they rescue him. And he's really freaked out, and so he doesn't talk to them. And they they take him with them, and they and they travel away from the lagoon. And they end up still traveling on these this underground river system for like four or five days. And then they finally exit from this mountain onto uh, uh, onto the mouth of, of this river and and on a mountain lake and um, the Aarakocra so they rest for a couple of days they heal up they get rid of their, all their exhaustion and uh, meanwhile the squirrel has now gone around and gotten all of his relatives and so I in between sessions I went on Facebook and or I went I went on Google and you know it's amazing what you get if you Google squirrel in armor there are like I, I've seen that of, picture yeah yeah <laughs> so there's all kinds of pictures so I basically was joking around and I that's what I tweeted a bunch of like oh here's the you know the squirrel that my players ran into oh and here's his brother and here's his other brother and here's their cousin and here's their <laughs> uncle who's a paladin it's like all of these like woodland animals in in armor, yeah, armor. <laughs> and, and um and so I decided so. You know, of course, they all went and thumbed my tweets, or they liked my tweets, and then they thumbed my Facebook post. So I was like, you know, I'm just gonna like throw this into the game. So with the next morning, when they in the game, when they woke up, like all of the squirrels, like main, you know, next of kin were there, and they were talking about how they're gonna take back the forest because remember, now they're on the mountain, they can see the whole valley that was under invasion when they entered. Uh, when they actually came through the forest at the very beginning of the game, and mm. it's completely overrun, and there's all these smoky pyres everywhere because everybody's, you know, all the towns are getting, you know, overrun, and there's all these horrible things, and there's like goblin hordes all over, and so the 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 woodland animals are like, we're gonna take back the forest, and um, then they realize the Aarakocra can actually speak, and so he's talking to them, and uh. So they were talking to him through the squirrel because the squirrel could talk to the to the Aarakocra, and they asked him what his name is, and the squirrel told him, told them the Aarakocra's name. But I said, you know, it sounds like a bunch of clicks and a couple of like, you know, clacking of the of the of the beak of a bird, like in rapid succession, and then like almost like a caw caw sound, right? Like I'm, you know, it's not an, a a name that you could pronounce in any language that you know. And so the one player decides he okay his name is Foghorn Leghorn. Sure it is. So of course if his name's Foghorn Leghorn I have to start talking like Foghorn Leghorn. So now, I mean I mean you don't have to but okay. <laughs> well you have to. I'll play along. When your player when your player opens that door that wide and it's already sort of a farcical scene with a bunch of squirrels with armor and they're all related and then there's a groundhog and you know that's cousin Pedro and I mean there's like all there's it, it just it it was already farcical. It became and it a was wacky already, fairy tale. Sorry. 
yeah, it was it was already very fair, fairy tale funny. And so when he said it's Foghorn Leghorn, I said, okay, well, now he's going to be Foghorn Leghorn. And of course, they asked him to go with them. So um, I want to bring the audience back to a few sessions ago when they were going to assault this giant fortress filled with cultists. And I offered them as the DM through an NPC the ability to take 15 ratmen with them to help assault the fortress. Mm. And they said, no, no, no. I don't want to do that because we don't want to pay them any treasure and whatever. But now they meet an Aarakocra and they name him Foghorn Leghorn. And now they want him to go everywhere with them. Sure. So The guy who you know, was previously so scared he wouldn't even talk. Well, because he had been, he was a captive and so he couldn't even like really see. He didn't know where he was. They, he didn't know who they were. Right. So – uh, but yes, basically, the guy mm-hmm. who was so scared he wouldn't talk. But then they rescued him, so he, you know, he trusted them. But of course, he's Foghorn Leghorn, so everywhere he goes, he offends everybody and puts his foot in his mouth half the time. So it's actually really hilarious because they just decided to go to this big, you know, dwarven hold. And in my world, these dwarves are very, very, you know, this particular hold is is very. Uh, they're, they're extremely lawful, and so they don't put up with nothing. And now you've got this big, you know, chicken hawk running around, <laughs> offending everybody. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the pa- last session was quite enjoyable in a funny way, um, but the story is about to get real serious because uh, they are about to try to go assault, um, go into. The, they're going to try to find a way to be let into the inner sanctum of the of the dwarven hold because they know that that's that has something to do with the machine that was opening all the portals that uh that is allowing for this um this big orc invade or this big goblin invasion to occur um so here's my two questions my my two or my two kind of things that i i've been thinking about since i've run the past couple of sessions this last session and the session before they had these really long drawn out journeys and hmm. I, I know I think we've talked about this before, you know, because I think this is a sticking point and it depends on a lot of different variables how the best way to handle this is. But, you know, there's only so much you can do to make a journey interesting mm-hmm. and not throw a ton of random encounters at them just to have some fight, you know. Right. Um, and so so that's one thing. The second thing is um, – how do I uh, – well, actually, this is more about how do you guys do something. So um, when you have a situation like like what I've just created where now there's all these woodland creatures, um, I, mean, I mean those existed in the world anyway. It's just that this is the first time the players have actually interacted with them. Um, but I don't want it to be the Ewoks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so those are my two things. Like, wh- what are your thoughts about those two particular things? I can I can speak to the first about travel. Okay. And I, I think there's so there's a couple of questions. One is how much game time do you want to require for travel, and how much of a of a burden should it be for the characters? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an actual question. Yeah. So, <laughs> so in this particular case, because they were underground and one of them does not have dark vision, yeah, and they didn't they didn't want to have any lights, right? It was extremely uncomfortable and hard to navigate. So, it should I matter. Need, it should matter. I yeah, needed you don't it wanna, to. You don't want to hand yeah. wave it. 
I mean, right. so I mean, even in the hard cir- circumstances, I think if it, if it's going to be boring for everybody, then the answer is, you know, it can be described, you know, right, quickly right. as right. it was an arduous journey and you're exhausted at the end, right. but after you know well, three three weeks, you make yeah. it to wherever. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is where this is where the exhaustion mechanics. I love them because yeah. they make your life really difficult, but they're kind of easy to get rid of if you've got time. And whether you've got time or not can depend either on the DM or on the player's choices. So there's a lot of interplay there and a lot of things that can happen. But one of the things that I did to make it a hardship was to use the exhaustion mechanics. Yeah. And and then I don't – I mean like I didn't spend like, you know, three game sessions just with them traveling. But they did end up making choices that kept them on this underground river system. And and I realized at that point if I hand wave this – it's going to make it seem like no big deal. But right, how, right. what do you do that's in the middle? Because I don't want to spread it out, but I don't want to hand wave it. Well, and that's the same conundrum I ran into, right? They, they were traveling through the Underdark, yep. and it was like an entire session of random encounters. And it was like, okay, mm-hmm. I can't make the Underdark not a threat, right? It's it, right. Ha- it still has to be the Underdark. I don't want to hand wave it, but it needed to have meaning. So what I did was, uh, if you remember, I, I rolled up the random encounters and sort of threw in the interesting encounters or whatever. And then sort of uh, narratively walked them through the process and gave them, you know, certain decision points or whatever. And people still went mad in certain places or whatever. Um, so it, all the stuff still happened. I just we just didn't roll roll out the encounters or whatever because they were going to win. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and how like that you previously described like the, the underwater uh, the underground water voyage or whatever, and that needed to be a mm-hmm. challenge. Um, but what about the current journey? Does this is this a, a location or a situation where it particularly needs to be really challenging? No, I mean, so so actually that so the underground like river system was is actually what I was asking about because oh, okay. I I just wanted everybody's thoughts on how that you know like what would you do kind of yeah. question. Um, the next journey they're going to go on, it's going to be more of a, of like a maze type thing, but without a map, right? So right. basically, this they're finally to the high enough level where they can kick enough butt that they can go into what's basically Thunderspire Labyrinth. Okay. Mm-hmm. But of course, a highly doctored Thunderspire Labyrinth. Sure. And so extremely maze-like, but I'm not going to sit and have a map out and draw mazes and have them map. Right. So I'm I'm sort of abstracting that a little bit. But once again, I'm I know that I'm just because I've I've seen the way the players react to that type of scenario. That I know it's gonna there's going to be a point where I'm going to say, okay, I'm at I'm I think I'm at the point where I have to make a decision about how long I stretch this out versus how difficult well and and there's a point where unless there's a really good reason to like you play it out up until the point that it starts to become a bit of a grind and then you decide Mm -hmm. okay and you get more of this for a while right and then you hand wave then you hand wave the rest of it or whatever so they get the idea um Mm -hmm. but then they don't have to like actually go through the slog of doing the whole thing you know right right so I mean, generally yeah. speaking, I am unless I need it for a purpose, like like I'm in the they're traveling in the underdark for a month, and I need to make sure it's difficult. I I don't really do random encounters if I can help it, but I will come up with um, a handful of different encounters that are that are not random but appear random to them. Um, that I right. found that that I can leverage to to make a certain point, uh, either mm-hmm. highlight something about the world or or sow some seeds for future storylines or whatever right uh mm-hmm. and so and so none of my uh, when possible none of my encounters are random you know right well and that's actually that's exactly what gave rise to this squirrel 
because I I needed them to know they were in dangerous place. Hence the you know dragon scales and a big island with a big depression shaped like a dragon, which is obviously where he sleeps, um, and a bunch of treasure. But I didn't want them to meet a dragon. <laughs> they weren't know. ready for that yet. They're, well, it just. I didn't want them to meet a big evil dragon because it's not it's not pertinent to the story. Like it's a, this my story has like nothing to do with dragons until the squirrel thing came up. Um but in terms of like causing the you know they're not like in the background pulling all the strings or anything like that. Right. So there are dragons in the world they just don't happen to be a focus of this particular And I hate using something as important as a dragon as a as a random thing, right? If if right. it's there and it should serve a purpose. Exactly. So I I that's why I put kind of a thing with dragon lair like elements so that they could realize it's dangerous but there's no dragon to be seen to of course, establish they dragons are, in the setting and but right. not make it a story of course they're completely convinced that the squirrel is just a polymorph dragon well, that and was my to- first that thought I, <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. and they, they totally are convinced of that and they still talk about oh when is he going to turn into the dragon and ask for his gold back you know um but that's you know that's neither here nor there that's it but what happened was because i I was I, I sort of was in a, a Mike Shea position, what he was describing, where I didn't know they were going to go in a direction that they went in when they went down that river, mm-hmm. and and I had to come up with something that was interesting and not just like okay, you're on a river system underground for days, right? Like that's you know because that's mm-hmm. not fun. Yeah, absolutely, right. So. And then what was your second question about? Remind me. Um. Crap, I don't know. It was, how we, it was like how we handled something. <laughs> My time's up anyway. It is. <laughs> how what? Ewoks. You didn't want to have Ewoks. Oh, the Ewoks. Ewoks. Yeah. You didn't want them to be Ewoks. I, d- I don't want a fun element that I put into the game to turn into Ewoks. So, mm. I mean, it was just the, the thought, of, I mean, thought about it. I, I Sometimes lo- funny I like stuff Ewoks. happens. Yeah, so. I like Ewoks. Yeah. <laughs> They're fun. You know, they had a lighthearted element to the to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's two ways I, I would go with it in, in that... Either you now have this valley or whatever where there's, you know, sentient talking animals and, and that wear armor and are fighting this valiant war to retake the valley or whatever. Um, or you go the other direction and you go dark and sad with it and it's, you know, they fought the war to retake the valley and got slaughtered by monsters, you know. And yeah. <laughs> next time you go back, there's it's strewn with the corpses of squirrels and armor, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of what I was thinking of. Is that I, I'm not sure I want it to go in either one of those directions, you know. Right. So yeah, I, I don't mean, know. I, so we'll I mean, let it continue out. Let it continue to play out. Like if they go back to the yeah. valley, the animals are still there and they're still fighting, and and they've yeah. set up a sort of resistance movement because they know they would lose in a in a face to face combat, and they've gone to guerrilla warfare, and you know, right. so this thing could drag out for years. Right. Who knows? Well, remember they befriended a goblin, and he turned. They saved his life, and he turned into a paladin. Uh, hmm. Who worships the same god that the paladin in right. the party worships, because he's the one who brought him back or healed him, and uh, and so that goblin is leading a resistance from inside. Oh, so they've got the, multiple resistance movements going on. Now. Yeah, so they, there's lots of. So I mean, this this campaign got really big because of the amount of just land coverage that is because and when you're talking about an invasion, eventually you know okay if the invasion story is they invade your town you defend it then that becomes relatively short maybe but if it's they invade your town they're invading all everything around it and you're off making a delivery and you discover your whole region is being 
taken over, now it's suddenly a much bigger thing. And that's mm-hmm. actually what happened to them is that they decided to leave and they discovered all of this stuff was going on basically right next door and was coming towards their mm-hmm. home. But now they're already far away from their home. So, yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Well, we will we will leave Sam hanging there uh, and, and remind everybody that another way you can support the show besides going to patreon.com slash the dome show is you can go shopping like you normally would over at Amazon or DMs Guild. If you go to the thetomeshow.com and find the links for Amazon or DMs Guild there, um, it'll it'll attach a little cookie on your browser and, and it'll know that you came from us and we'll get a little a little taste. You know, you'll get the exact same experience, the exact same prices, but they'll throw a couple percentage um, uh a couple, you know, percentage or whatever, a small percentage of uh, of what you shop for our way. And that helps us, you know, keep things going. So, And it helps me show my appreciation to all the people who do stuff on the Tome Show who get all of the Amazon money. So there we are. Now it is my turn. All right. So uh, if you remember last time, we are pretty so, – so my post-apocalyptic fantasy Earth and I'm mashing up the Rod of Seven Parts uh, out of the abyss – uh, Princes of the Apocalypse and some homebrew stuff involved this with, with this hive mind insectoid creatures and um, effectively what are Warforged, although we're using the Gear Forge stats from uh, Cobalt Press. Mm-hmm. So, so that's yep. that's sort of the setting, and and we've been pretty heavily into the Princes of the Apocalypse part um, of the the storyline lately we've been doing they ignored it for a while doing other things and now they've sort of dived back into that and and they've reached a point where i'm like okay well there's no point in you like doing some of this and going away and then coming back at this point because you're powerful enough you could probably just wrap up this whole storyline and then i have one less thing sort of to juggle so they've made their way down into the to the fane of the eye if you remember last time the the air cultist uh the prophet of air um Made sure that when she died, she died upon the altar in the temple uh, that completed the ritual. Uh, she she became the sacrifice to complete the ritual that would call some great entity uh, uh, from beyond. Um, and then they 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 figured out uh, with some fairly heavy handed help from me. They figured out they need to go into the nodes and and figure out you know where all this elemental energy and and creatures and whatever are coming from. Um, and so they went down into the water node, figuring that was a good place to go because they know that they've killed two of the prophets. Um, all that's left is water and fire. So they went into water first. Uh, they worked their way through the water node and then uh, they had a cliffhanger as like uh, they went down the waterfall into the like the final chamber where the big portal is, you know, which is a hovering ball of water on an island in the middle of this giant uh, waterlogged chamber. And there's crocodiles, uh, giant crocodiles snapping and, and frothing underneath the waterfall as they're slowly feather falling into the, the mouths of these crocodiles while the prophet is standing up on the island uh, casting spells and a water elemental is there guarding him and end of session, right? And then come back to that the next time. Uh, and we came back to that uh, last time we played a couple weeks ago, um, and they successfully defeated the the prophet of water and all the crocodiles and what have you, um, and figured out that the way to shut down the portal is to to basically to hurl the elemental weapons from each prophet into the portal, and it both destroys the weapon and shuts down the portal. 
and thus the node becomes safe again, right? That elemental prince can cannot be summoned unless you know mm-hmm. somebody creates another node some other day in the in the future. Um, they they did reach a point where um, the barbarian who's been carrying Iron Fang, which is the the earth weapon, uh, mm-hmm. has, has been using it fairly heavily for probably six months or more in in real world time. Um, has kind of become attached to it, and then suddenly he's like, oh. <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna have to destroy this. What what am I gonna do? <laughs> right? He doesn't want to get rid of he doesn't want to get rid of the the item. Um, and I and I'm kind of so at the same time that I'm thinking through that process as they're getting to that point in the campaign, uh, I'm also reading the uh, or was reading the Taldori campaign setting because uh, we did a review of it. Um, I'm sure has has recently come out or will shortly, depending on on Sam's editing process. I'm in the middle of editing it actually there you go. right now. There you go. Uh, so one of the things that's really cool in the in that campaign setting is this concept of the vestiges. Hello. Hello. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so they have this idea of these vestiges, which are are items left behind by these legendary beings or whatever, right? Uh, and the vestiges they they kind of tie or play with this concept that's been around since you know second edition or whatever. The the idea of the the magic items that grow with you sort of concept. Uh, but they have this sort of legendary background to them, and, uh, and and I like that they tie it less into like like I think second edition had an, or maybe third had a, a process where like you pumped your own experience into the item to level it up or whatever, uh, and it was very mechanical. This one is like uh, no, you have to be kind of in this level range and then do something really cool. And when you do something really cool story wise, then it, it it awakens the item or exalts it or whatever. Uh, and it sort of goes to another another level. Uh, so I'm tying, I'm playing with the idea of um, finding some way to replace, you know, when they destroy these items that they've been attuned to for so long, uh, finding a way to replace it with some of the, uh, to, to one of these sort of vestiges, these, you know, items that kind of, kind of grow with you. And it'll be like, oh, well, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's. It's not great consolation compared to what we had, but and then they realize over over the next several levels and, and months that it's it's growing and becoming more powerful, and suddenly it's a, it's mm. it's a it's a worthy replacement, you know. Um, you know that makes my my instinct is to only do that maybe once with the prophet of fire because the other prophets are dead, and then I can the way I can do that is that this vestige item will be something that the prophet of fire has on him, right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And, you know, the Prophet of Fire will also be where they meet one of the, the princes, right? Imix is there. And, and maybe the right. maybe the, the deific-ish power of Imix sort of infuses these items or whatever. So I just have to find an appropriate item to that, that will replace uh, particularly the for the, um, the barbarian who is more attached to his item. The only other person using one of the items is the monk who's using a, a spear. Um so I think I, I feel, and he just recently got it. So I don't feel like he's very attached to it. He he can go back to other items. Mm-hmm. I mean, is is the barbarian gonna like have a problem sacrificing this weapon that he's grown fond of? So I mean, I well, so I maybe, and I don't want to. I mean, in character, right? I, I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't no, mean, no, no, no. Like, yeah, not the, I think the player is gonna be fine, right? Uh, in character, I think the the character might struggle with that and i think that's fun right i don't want to let them know that i'm 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 rewarding you and replacing this thing with that thing um right 
you know, I, so it's not going to be like a, oh, it'll be easy because I'll give you this other thing. It'll be fine, right? I want them to, I want that character to go through that struggle of, oh no, but I've had this thing with me for so long and we're so like in tuned, you know, like the, 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 the downside of, of wielding Iron Fang is that you, you add a flaw to your character that you just want to destroy things, right? Which mm-hmm. honestly was kind of already the flaw that that barbarian character had anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that okay, though? Yeah, absolutely. For them? Is is what okay for them? It's sort of made for them. Oh, no, yeah, and that's my point, right? Is that that's why he's having a hard time giving it up. Like, this this is, it's not the most powerful item in the world, but it's, you know, it's pretty good. It's better than anything else he has. And they have this, like, uh, att- you know they're they're pretty well attuned to each other, right? Every now and then I tell him you you have the impulse to smash this thing. He's like, heck yeah, I do, and he smashes the thing. You know, so. <laughs> is there a way that he can keep it and not not have the story fall apart? I mean, yes, he can keep it. Basically, what happens if you keep the items is that the portals in the nodes never close. So right. it's not an immediate threat, but that portal's always there and could be a future threat. So he could keep it, and, and he may very well make that choice to keep it until, you know, the end of the campaign and, and go toss it in after it's all done with. But, right. and, and if that happens, that's cool, but I want to be prepared with my, my backup um, just in case. Sure, so. sure. So that's, that's where they went there. After the water node, they went back up to the, to the temple to head over to the fire node. And on the way there, they heard this loud screeching thing, uh, noise, the screaming screeching noise, uh, and went to investigate that it was in the, the temple with the ziggurat and the altar at the top or whatever. And they sort of um, – so I don't know if you remember, uh, Mike, I think you were in this adventure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember, but like the this part of the temple has these these sort of darkness curtains. They're not like actual physical curtains. They're just like these right. magical curtains of darkness, so you can't see what's in the next room. Uh, right. Except that I have two characters who are warlocks with that special sight ability that lets them see through magical darkness. So so their way of trying to figure out what the heck is going on is well, we'll just stay on the other side of the curtain and just look through it with our magical sight and see what the heck is going on in this room. Uh, and they they. Uh, they discover that the thing that the prophet of air, prophetess of air, summoned with uh, the sacrifice of her own life is the demon lord Pazuzu, which was already ah. running, which was already running around in the underdark. Because, because uh, of underdark, the abyss, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. I have every every session I try to to pull in some aspect of every storyline of all four mm-hmm. of the major storylines, just to keep them all fresh and and going on mm-hmm. and, and tied in, so it all feels cohesive, right? Right. So that was. That was that. And so Pazuzu's there. And I found on EN World somebody had started up a, a pretty good version of Pazuzu that I'm, that I'm using. Uh, but, you know, a good CR27 Pazuzu, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, right. <laughs> right. So, so the party looks at the situation. They're like, oh, what's that? And, you know, I, they do some knowledge checks or whatever, and they figure out who Pazuzu is and what's going on. And they're like, um, yeah. Time to go. We're going to go around. <laughs> we'll still go to the fire node, but we're not going through there, even though it's the fastest way. Like, we're not messing with Pazuzu. Uh, and and it, it would be a difficult fight. Like like Mike has pointed out, um, because of the flatter math, I guess, I'm not entirely convinced that, that uh, their party of four or five uh, PCs at level 11 or whatever couldn't actually take on Pazuzu in a hard fight um, if it came down to it. But... They decided right. not to at this point. They were they were effectively intimidated in, in a way that's probably appropriate and, and it, it works well. Then they went off to the fire node, and that's where the, the hive creatures that they kind of recently made contact with. I don't know if I talked much about that last time. 
Um, so they finally found a way to communicate with him, and it's through the the um, the sorcerer with the wild um, bloodline who uh, I've sort of connected to this Lovecraftian you know uh, thing, but you know power beyond the stars that he's kind of tapping into. Uh, and, but because of that, he's able to communicate with these hive creatures because it turns out they're from that world. Um, and they've been – but they're like super like lawful neutral sort of thing. So they're here. They came to this world to contain the chaos that is bleeding into the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have no way of communicating. It's, it's, uh, I stole the concept from, from Ender's Game, right? That the, right. the, the alien mm-hmm. creatures aren't really your enemy. They just don't recognize you as a meaningful form of life, right? Right. <laughs> Uh, so that's kind of what's going on is that these hive creatures kept ransacking these these kingdoms or whatever, but it had nothing to do with, you know, you're the enemy. You're just in the way and we're trying to contain the chaos. Uh, right. But now suddenly they're recognizing each other as sentient and, and whatever because this one guy can communicate with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Pazuzu is one of the few monsters that doesn't have a stat block. No, he doesn't. But that's why I found one in, on Ian World because it ties really well to the idea of the cult of air. Yeah, sure. So um, – so yeah, so anyway, so the, the hive creatures, uh, I'm using them a lot as, now that they're kind of semi-tense allies, um, I'm kind of using them as a way of not having to go through the slog of clearing out every single temple. Like, it was, you know what, you guys go ahead and head on down, the, the hive creatures are going to start ransacking the fire temple. Like, I don't want to, you know, at this point it's a foregone conclusion. You walk in there and you right. kill a bunch of stuff and whatever, so let's just, they'll do it for you. But, but they can't go down deeper because there's this chaotic energy that, that messes with their their hive mind. Um, right. And now they're they're able now that they've they've killed the prophet and stopped the ritual or whatever, and they've took taken down one of the nodes. They're kind of able to start coming down, but they can't go very far into it. And they're like, "There's there's some entity here of, of pure chaos and evil. We need you to get rid of it so we can come down here and continue our work and contain the chaos and blah blah blah." Uh, and of course, that's Pazuzu, and they're like, "Uh, yeah, so." We might do that someday, but not now, because <laughs> we're not ready for Pazuzu. Right. Uh, you know, and so they went down uh, down into the fire node and started, uh, you know, had the first couple of encounters there and, and hit the first couple of rooms and what have you from there. So that's where that's where we left off is them going into right. the fire node. Uh, I, I have a couple of questions though with my my few minutes remaining. Um, so since they didn't fight Pazuzu at the t- in the temple at the altar. Um, I, I don't know that I necessarily feel inclined to just have Pazuzu become uh, a monster closet and just sit there and wait for them. Like, where right. does Pazuzu go now? Uh, with the idea that because of the storyline of Out of the Abyss, he can't leave the Underdark. But where does he go now that he's... Well, if he was... Simple? if he would, So you said something about him being teleported out, though, right? He was summoned? He was summoned. Well, so but, did, might that have broken the connection to the Underdark? So, I mean, it could have. I kind of uh, envisioned that... that this is all part of this larger story. Um, you know, I don't know if I if I ever explained sort of the meta story going on that that all of the the entities of, of chaos and and whatever that have been bound by the gods ages past are all actually the same entity. So mm-hmm. so Thera's done is the same thing as Miska the Wolf Spider is the same thing as the the Forgotten One from like Freeport and you know they're all the same thing and and it was uh, their agent. Uh, the Queen of Chaos that put Loth on the path of summoning the Demon Lords to to keep people busy, so they wouldn't stop the the you know the summonings and whatever of trying to free Miska slash Thera's done slash whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my vision was that that the summoning was only possible because 
the faint of the eye was was also within the underdark, and so it wasn't so much a summoning it out of the the underdark and the fair's rest, but just bringing it to another section of where it's bound. Right. I mean, and I could decide that's not the case because it's not like the party knows that that's my reasoning. But right, right, interesting. So yeah, I just don't know where Pazuzu goes from here because. If he goes up, yeah. he's not really in the Underdark. I, I had this vision of maybe he just goes up and, and slaughters the hive creatures um, and starts yeah. doing that. But but I don't know that I want him to be able to go well, what up. Is, cause, what does Pazuzu want? Yeah, well, I don't know. What does Pazuzu want? I don't know. <laughs> maybe, and maybe, how, smart, how smart is this Pazuzu? May, well, and maybe, I mean, maybe he goes down into the air node because that's a place where he would be more comfortable. And suddenly, suddenly that node has a challenge that's, that's worthwhile. Cause that's one of the other things I had is like, what do you do with the nodes that don't have profits anymore? That just becomes, this just becomes, uh, you know, going down there for the sake of going down there because we need to destroy these portals, but there's no longer any real story or challenge there. Yeah. But maybe Pazuzu is um, hanging out down in one of them. Well, so another interesting was maybe Pazuzu's sort of like rebuilding the air cult into something even bigger than what uh, the air priestess was. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm just I hit Wikipedia real quick on Pazuzu and Pazuzu wants followers on the prime material plane. <laughs> so there you go. You know, it could be that it takes it takes back over again. And now they go back up and now that, you know, storms around that tower and, you know, it's sitting on a throne. Maybe. Yeah. That could work. What do you think, Sam? Is Sam still there? Sorry, Sam? I was, I was, uh, <laughs> I was muted. Um, ah, oh, what do I think? Boy. Um, well, I guess the question is, so they've, they've seen Pazuzu yeah. and so, and they recognized that Pazuzu was extremely powerful or at least that they didn't want to spend the time and resources it would have taken to challenge Pazuzu. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't see why they couldn't see Pazuzu doing things several different times and then accidentally stumble across him as they went to go destroy one of the portals if he realizes he might be able to use that portal or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that might that might be the reason why he, you know... And may- maybe after they take on Imix they, and they head down to the next portal, maybe they discover that the air, the air node, which is supposed to be the easiest of the four nodes, right? Um, right. Maybe, maybe now the air node has suddenly become hyperactive and he's trying to use that portal to escape you know, the, the, the bindings from, from out of the abyss that bound him to the Underdark, right? Right. And so they'll discover him and, you know, and maybe they'll they'll be able to get a couple of glimpses of that and realize that that's what's going on. And maybe they'll expect him down there or maybe it'll be a complete shocker and they'll have to figure it out yeah. why he's down there. Or maybe he's not down there and he did escape. He managed to get through that portal and now he's in the, the yeah. elemental plane of air and you got to worry about Pazuzu, a demon Lord who's actually not bound and out there in, in, in yeah. existence. Well, and all yeah, the but they have to, are. that has to be discoverable, right? They right. have to figure out that that happened. Mm-hmm. So, so they, so they have to show up just in time to watch him jump through the portal. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. They they get to see his little behind going through. Right. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, I I think I'm I'm well past my time, and we're, we're we are well over an hour because somehow when we take fifteen minutes plus fifteen minutes plus fifteen minutes, we get to an <laughs> hour and five get minutes to more than an hour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But that's that's the norm for us, and and I like that we're. Uh, 
asking questions and doing some of that stuff now too. So we get yeah. some, some good advice in there. The thing is it's it's harder to just bring a question and we can chat about whatever question. It's it's easier when you talk about your game a little bit because that's what's giving rise to the questions. Mm-hmm. And then the audience can see that too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think that I think that but at the same time we are totally open. If people have questions oh, yeah. you want us to discuss yeah. Uh, you know, shoot me an email at the tome show at gmail.com or if you're a patron, uh, post something over there at the, at, on the Patreon about it because uh, we will always set aside, you know, 10 minutes or whatever to talk about whatever questions you guys have or whatever advice you guys need on, in your campaigns. So, all right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and call this episode over then. Uh, this has been Behind the DM Screen and I guess I forget how I end things in this episode. In you this just show. tell us to say goodbye. So, say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. And then you say goodbye, guys. (laughs) 